This is Hassan Akram, your host for Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast, brought to you by Matrix. So it's a very exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to talk about cybersecurity. And the threat will not be from the driver which is falling asleep. The threat will be from a cyber attacker. Imagine, you know, instead of COVID, the virus was a computer virus and it had crippled the entire network of the globe. Customers expect security as part of the vehicle. They don't expect to pay extra for cybersecurity. Automotive in a net is 25 years behind the IT infrastructure. And I agree with you 100%. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Welcome back to another episode of Matrix Tech Talk. Today, we have got all the way from Tel Aviv, Gilad Bundel from Arilu Automotive Security uh, Company from Tel Aviv. Gilad, welcome to Matrix Tech Talk. Nice being here. Thank you. So it's a very exciting episode for uh, you guys today. We're going to talk about cybersecurity. And we're going to talk about cybersecurity all the way from connected vehicles to all the way we are going to go to the approaches, how the changes, how automations are going to influence cybersecurity. So stay with us till the end of the episode. You're going to get a lot of, lot of values. I promise you that. So without further ado... Uh, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Why am I so excited today? So Gilad have got a glorious cybersecurity career. I mean, he's been working in cybersecurity networking industry for 30 years. And he is the vice president of product and marketing of Arilu Automotive Cybersecurity from Tel Aviv. And I would then give it over to Gilad. Gilad, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your passion and your background, and most importantly, what got you in cybersecurity? I started actually computers as a kid. So I had a small board at home with a microprocessor. Um, and we lived in a town uh, near the Whiteman Institute of Science where I had access to a mainframe which is an IBM 360, 370 series, an old, old machine. But that was the best at the time. So this is the place where I got my passion for computers. So the fact that I had access to the computer as a kid gave me the opportunity to enter this exciting field. So what time are you talking about, Gilad? What is the time? How did the world look like, the world of computing? Was it still mainframe time? The world that I started with the IBM computer is back in 1976, 77. Uh, we had punch cards and reel-to-reel tapes uh, and TTYs. And my uh, terminal was doing uh, 300 uh, bit per second. And then we got upgraded 1200 bit per second. Uh, the whole mainframe, which served the Institute of Science at three megabyte three megabyte, not gigabyte, megabyte of RAM. And the clock was uh, 1.65 megahertz. So my watch here, uh, not doing any promotion, has already more horsepower than that mainframe. So we've gone a long way since then. 
One of the things which is interesting to say is that I worked with one of the scientists that had to do a lot of calculations and the CPU was divided between all the people in the Weizmann Institute of Science. And this wasn't a very good arrangement for me because I needed lots of power. So I broke into the mainframe and uh, was able to arrange for my scientists to get a large chunk of the CPU power. So getting into cybersecurity back about 40 years ago, breaking into mainframe operating system was the start. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, I, I definitely want to get into what, what the audience are eager to hear is automotive cybersecurity. But what was your mechanism, uh, you know, if you want to talk in a very brief way? Because the reason I'm asking is we see this attack model come back, you know, the same way of same mechanism of attacking, breaking in, is coming back in a different context. So what was your mechanism? And then let's jump into how did it change? It's a very interesting question because I wrote an article, you can find it on our website, and it was published in which I compare between the IT security, OT, ICS, which is industrial control system, SCADA system, and automotive cybersecurity. And I give there some of the history and background of how things evolved in the IT industry compared to the industrial control system industry and the automotive industry in terms of cybersecurity. Can you please send us that link? We will definitely put it in the, in the podcast uh, description section for our audience. I will share it with you, no problem. Fantastic. Going, going directly into the way that I compromise that mainframe, there is the user space and the kernel space. Mm -hmm. Now in the kernel space, there are many processes. This is a multi-process operating system. And it has a quantum of time that allows each process to work. So this way we share, the, the operating system is sharing the resources. Now that means that my professor and the other 100 professors in the Weizmann Institute of Science had to share that computer. Now doing combinatorics and long statistics um, takes long of long time. So what I did is set a timer for 10 p.m. in which I broke into the quantum time of the process. So instead of being 100 milliseconds, I changed it into five minutes. So every time that my job entered into execution, instead of being there 100 milliseconds, it stayed there for five minutes. So by the end of the, the night, I would have my job being done. Just keep in mind that we think about batch processing, not interactive. So we would send jobs for execution in batch and receive the uh, output in files or in printed files. Um, this is the way it worked back then. You essentially changed or manipulated the scheduler to give you more CPU time. Exactly. And I was able to do this by finding a vulnerability mm -hmm. in the IBM operating system. I took that vulnerability and turned it into an exposure once I found a way. How can I exploit this vulnerability in which I could access one of the um, registers in the CPU and change it? Although it was kernel. Uh, space, while I was in user mode, I still had the access to this register in kernel space. So this was a bug in the operating system, which enabled me to achieve this marvelous scientific breakthrough in computer science. So this is the way that I did it. Gilad, how old were you back then? I was... 
15. I was in high school. You was in high school. Congratulations to that. And I'm, I'm really getting goosebumps that a 15 years old kid, you know, finds a vulnerability to access the register of a mainframe and changes the scheduler to get more computation time. That is amazing. Now, if we fast forward 2021, yeah, and get into automotive. The mechanism, you know, is the same. You scan for a vulnerability, you look for a vulnerability, you find a backdoor, and then you probably try and uh, flash over the air with some, some backdoor, and then you execute what you want to execute. You can also do what you have done uh, to the mainframe. If you change the scheduler and change the period to 10 milliseconds to, I don't know, five minutes, we all know what's going to happen to a vehicle, right? Now, tell us your, um, your idea that how has this developed? We have connected vehicle. We have uh, automated driving. We have V2X communication. All these, how does all these things relate and what kind of a new problem does it bring in? Or is it still the old school coming in different context? One thing which is important to state is that back then, all the things that I did and you gave them names, those names did not exist. I did not know that I was, I found a vulnerability. I did, there wasn't the term vulnerability. I did oh, not geez. know that I found a, a, uh, that I develop an exposure. So there is, the, the word vulnerability did not exist. It was not a jargon of the... Or even if it existed, we didn't know about it. We did more stuff. For example, we planted a Trojan horse that we call today a Trojan horse. We didn't know that we do it. Let me think about it. So which year was it again? Uh, 1979, 1978, 1980. Did the term virus exist? I'll have to check. Did Fred Cohen coin the term virus? For in his dissertation. Uh, so I'm thinking, when did he publish that paper? Did the term virus existed back then? We did not know those terms. Those terms came into notion many years later. Many years later. In literature, in scientific articles, you might have found those things, but the fact that someone coined uh -huh. a term doesn't mean that the following day everyone is using it. Got it. So it, it probably existed in the in the academic community, research community, among the nerds, but it was not pervasive as it is today. Got it. So let's move a bit fast forward. The concepts, the ideas um, prevail and stay, and but, but much more complex. So if we look at the, see, let's look at the similarities. Back in, in, in the 80s um, of the previous century, Someone understood that some security needs to be provided into the computer. So you had credentials, you had username, password, you had kernel and system space, um, you had different execution modes, you had privileges, but it was very, very basic. So if we look at the automotive industry a few years back, um, or in some, sometimes even today, people understand in automotive industry that cyber is an issue. But the place where this industry is today is far behind. So if we compare it to IT or even to the OCS CADA, ICS CADA, it is far behind. When you sell automotive, when you sell cybersecurity into IT, it's a commodity. Everybody understands the term ransomware. 
and identity theft and uh, tampering with information and credit cards theft and the, it's clear. So it's a commodity. If we go, for example, to the industrial control system, industrial control system is about 20 years behind the IT, but about five years ahead of the automotive. So in the industrial control system, people understand that they need to take measures uh, like network segregation, like in, in, in firewalls, uh, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention system, in-depth defense, in-depth security, secure by design. So those terms are already there. The main difference between the industrial control system and the automotive system is that the industrial control system, you have a system for many, many years and it grows and evolves. Uh, while vehicles, every new year you have new vehicles. So Gilad, let me get this clear. You're saying industrial control system is 20 years behind with respect to traditional IT, IT infrastructure, and automotive is even five years behind industrial control systems. So automotive in a net is 25 years behind the IT infrastructure. And I agree with you 100%. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Can you tell us the reason of automotive being so much behind? There wasn't yet a case in which a yellow bus packed with kids was driven off a bridge into the icy waters beneath killing everyone on board due to a cybersecurity event. So most of the cybersecurity events in the automotive were white hat, very, very few black hat. Nobody knows of any real event that ended in people dead or injured or probably damaged. So the threat is not very, very visible. It's theoretic. It is true. Yeah. Let I me mean, just emphasize another thing. IT is very common and it's very visible. And if I want to, to launch a ransom attack on, an, on, on a firm, I don't need to, end, to wait for the quarter to end to see their figures. I launch it the moment I can. This is the IT. Um, all the OT, operation technologies, like um, critical infrastructure, water, uh, energy, oil, uh, building management, hospital, things like this, and vehicles, transportation, all of them are critical infrastructure. Therefore, when you would launch an attack, it would most likely be for strategic reasons. For example, a clash between two states. So there might be very well many dormant um, malware in vehicles or in um, electrical systems which are waiting for the day in which there is a clash between two states. We can give an example in the electricity where uh, there was a misunderstanding between the Ukraine and um, Russia regarding uh, some territories there. And allegedly, I don't say that I have the proof in my hands, but uh, probably some, some Russian hackers caused a power failure in the Ukraine, which persuaded the Ukrainians that they might be more flexible in the uh, negotiation with the Russians. So this is a case where a strategic attack was launched um, on critical infrastructure on a specific time for specific reasons. 
I suspect this might be the same with the automotive industry. So if you might have a war between two states and now you try to concentrate all the reserves using uh, buses and the enemy is able to attack via cybersecurity attack the buses and hold them in the tracks, disabling one country to um, mobilize all the uh, reserve forces, it gives a huge advantage to the other side. Uh, equally, if you can cause a cyber attack on the tanks and cause them to stop moving, they become a sitting target. Um, so you can just shoot at them and they would not harm you. So I suspect that there are many cybersecurity dormant malwares installed in um, vehicles waiting for command in the designated uh, event or designated date. Wait a second then, you're saying, you're saying, let me just get this straight for the audience. I totally agree with you that it's just not visible. When we, when we look at Hollywood, if, if you take Fast and Furious 8, for example, you know, they have this clip when, where they take control of 1,000 zombie cars, then they make the cars rain from a, from a garage. This is Hollywood, but theoretically, it is possible today. We know it. We know it from the white hack scenarios. Charlie Miller is one of the famous one. It is possible today. And what you're saying is, if I understood you right, that you're suspecting they're already spyware slash malware injected in our vehicle, but they're just waiting for the right time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, let's see who is the enemy and what's the motivation. The motivation can be um, ransom, money. So yeah. you may, may want um, to plant a, a time bomb in a, a, a cyber time bomb, not a physical time bomb, um, in, in a vehicle or in a fleet. And we can speak later what is the difference between protecting the individual vehicle and protecting the fleet because there are two, two different approaches to this. Um, and then you threaten the OEM, for example, the fleet owner, that you are going to cause damage to their reputation if they do not pay you so many Bitcoins by a designated time. And you can prove this by setting one of the vehicles attack. So you can prove that you can do it. We don't know how many such cases occurred. We don't know in the in the supply chain or via OTA or via any other vulnerability, someone was able to plant a uh, malware in a specific vehicle or in a fleet and um, somehow got ransom money from the fleet owner. But this is with the financial reasoning in mind if I'm the hacker. If I'm looking at a strategic attack, that would be a state actor, a terrorist uh, organization or a state that would try very much to plant some malware into the enemy, plantation enemy, enemy transportation system. This you would not know about until uh, there is a good reason for the malware to be activated. So this is a dormant uh, malware. Um, if we look at the sibling um, in the Ukraine, the 
allegedly Russians planted the malware long ago before it was activated. And only when the negotiation uh, did not prove to be as effective in the benefits of the Russians, the Russians uh, thought that the Ukrainians might be more flexible if they think in the dark. And apparently it worked. Um, the same might happen in, 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 a, in a wartime. Um, and it's important to state that it's not that we are fighting a state against a state as it used to be up until about 80, 90 years ago. Um, it's also against non-state organization or fake ID, like a state uh, impersonating a non-state body and not under the state flag. So you don't know exactly who the enemy is and what is the reasoning in real time. But yes, I do think that as part of the cyber arm of the enemy, Yes, they are taking action. If we look at the Israeli Defense Forces, um, once we used to have three branches, we have the uh, Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. A few years ago, a fourth branch was added, the Cyber Branch. So now the Israeli Army is with the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Cyber. And there is an intelligence branch as well. Um, but in terms of where we're fighting, we're fighting in, in four domains, not in three domains. Totally agree. You know, um, cyber weapons are massively underrated. People don't really realize the potential of cyber weapon. We have, we have seen the catastrophic result of using nuclear weapon during the Second World War, but we haven't actually yet seen how much is the potential of a cyber weapon. It is way more deadlier than a nuclear weapon, in my opinion, like a time bomb, a cyber time bomb. You know, you, it can cripple the whole world. Imagine, you know, instead of COVID, the virus was a computer virus and it had crippled the entire network of the globe. I would bet a bigger disaster than a biological virus. Now, with that in mind, I will definitely want to hear your opinion. Uh, I want to go a little bit toward autonomous vehicle, all, all the things that are coming. How does it open more for cyber attack? What are we opening up with this technological advances? Let's start with the first one, which is the automated vehicle, uh, then the connected automated vehicle, and then the um, cooperative intelligent transport systems. Each one of them is adding a lot of benefit, but together with any benefit comes the, uh, the risks. So the automated vehicle, um, you take over some functions that the human driver used to have, and you do it in, in software. And in many cases, as proven in the past, it comes out to be better than the human being because the human being has a lot of uh, limitations and the software doesn't fall asleep uh, if it drinks some alcohol. Eventually, automated driven will take over from the human and it will be a graduate state about in 20, 25 years. Um, it takes more and more. Um, I don't remember when it was my last time that I used a shift stick. So changing gears, we understand that it's an automated process and everyone understands it. 
driving uh, down the road is a bit more complex for people to comprehend, but it will, it will happen. Now that means that the responsibility of the human being is reduced. We go from layer three to layer four to layer five in which is, it should be automated in all driving conditions, all weather and so on. In some cases, there isn't even a wheel. So there isn't a driver on board. That's excellent news for human beings. I would not train my uh, kids as a taxi driver, not an occupation with any future, but that means it's a lot of computers and they come a car, a vehicle, is actually a set of computers that the only reason that they have wheels is so they won't be scratched by the road. So you have now 100 computers inside and they will be more and more complex and they will take more and more responsibility. That means that the attack service and the risks associated with this um, just increase. So we need to take a very good secure by design approach and install the right measures to protect the vehicle um, against cyber attacks. So if you're driving today, you have threats from your neighbor driver that might be uh, not very concentrated on the driving, uh, might be distracted, might be tired, might not see the right things and cause an accident. So I'm not saying that automated driving will uh, make all accidents go away, but definitely reduce. And we will have new uh, threats. And the threat will not be from the driver, which is falling asleep. The threat will be from a cyber attacker. So we need to cope with those threats. So we need to have very good intrusion detection and intrusion prevention systems, which will analyze the behavior of the vehicle, if it is a connected vehicle of its environment as well, and understand what makes sense and what does not make sense and where we see some misbehavior, some anomaly, which indicate that this is not what's meant to happen. And if it's something that was not meant to happen, we need, and we can speak this separate if we speak about prevention, if we speak about individual vehicle protection or fleet protection, um, but we need to take those measures some of them might be passive, some of them might be active by dropping the messages uh, or restarting the ECU that seems to have a trouble or disabling all the uh, system in the vehicle which are not essential and turn on a light uh, for the driver and say, go to the first service center uh, because there is a major malfunction in your vehicle which might be caused by a cyber attack. I mean, you mentioned very a lot of stimulating points, right? Uh, so we'll come to intrusion detection in a, in a, in a bit. Uh, when you want to hack a vehicle, take control over it, they're like the first thing to do is to penetrate into the vehicle network. Yeah, so this is usually done, uh, you know, you have this interfaces with the external world. This could be your Wi-Fi, this could be your Bluetooth, this could be your GPS, what have you. So penetrating the vehicle does not necessarily mean that you can take control of it. You have to look for a vulnerability to get into the CAN bus. Today, it's the CAN bus. So we, we actually have a you know, penetration testing training program, you know, how, to, how to hack the CAN bus. But and the whole world is moving to our Ethernet, right? So when it goes to Ethernet, how is it going to look to the hackers where there'll be more 
protection? Where will it be easier? Because CAN was not designed having security in mind. There was no security when CAN was designed, right? Now, we're moving toward Ethernet. Are we doing any better or are we making it more vulnerable? So Canvas, when it was designed, there was no security in mind. In Canvas, you can do nearly anything. Um, it's very hard to protect Canvas. You can add some authentication, but it's very hard to do it. Um, you can do some firewall and some intrusion detection, intrusion prevention in the gateway. Uh, in many cases, you cannot prevent. So if there are two issues on the same bus which attack one another, the gateway, the most it can do is to determine and detect something, but it cannot prevent because it's a bus topology. From the other side, Canvas was a local automotive only a protocol not spread in other places. So not so many people got interest into it. Moving into the automotive ethernet, it's a very right step from the automotive industry to do. Moving into new capabilities, new technology, new features and new flexibility that you have. Together with all this, you gain risks because Ethernet is a full seven layer uh, protocol. It's not Ethernet uh, on its own. It's Ethernet on top of it IP, IPv4, IPv4, v6, on top of it TCP, UDP, and other protocols such as ARP. Um, on top of it, you have um, application layer such as some IP, DOIP, DDS. You have the video things, which is AVB and AVTP. Uh, you have timing protocols, so it's a whole mess. So the whole stack, and it, we should see it as a stack and a combination of many protocols means uh, a lot of complexity and a lot of new software. A lot of complexity and a lot of new software translates very easily into, I will find a way in because this is new and it will take time. The, the canvas took 20 years to stabilize. Um, in the IT industry, it took, it's still not there. In the IT industry, still there are many vulnerabilities and every day there is a new attack. If we look at connectivity, let's say I wanted to, to attack a vehicle from the um, uh, cellular, so it's IP over cellular going into the gateway and from then canvas. So that means that I need to change the protocol in between. I'm doing IP over cellular, moving to Canvas uh, protocol. Now that I'm doing IP end-to-end, -end, I have a hacker in the most remote place in this uh, universe, and it has IP connectivity to the last ECU in the vehicle. So yes, there are gateways. Yes, there are a lot of uh, security means along the way, but it's one protocol and one protocol which can be routed. And it's much easier to jump in a gateway with the same protocol than with different protocols. So this is the bad news. The good news is that people start thinking security uh, from day zero. So many things are designed with security in mind. So networks are being segregated. Uh, VLANs, which is not a real security mean, it's more an administrative mean, but it's there. Quality of service, which I see as a security mean because it provides priority to important traffic, is there. We see in requirements of gateways from day zero, 
an intrusion detection, intrusion prevention system and the firewall in place. So from one perspective, many new features and potential. From the other perspective, many new risks and vulnerabilities which will be found. And from the third perspective, some better awareness. And not only awareness, uh, awareness, I think that it's, it's not the right word. The main reason why uh, people take action is due to regulation. Uh, there were so many uh, webcasts and podcasts regarding regulation, so I don't think it's worth spending time on saying again and again all those numbers. But in principle, this is a, uh, a drive in the market. So yes, there are professionals and responsible and adult people which acknowledge the uh, risk and the issues of cybersecurity. Yes, the CEO doesn't want to lose his job because something happens during his term. And yes, insurance companies want to limit and measure and reduce the risk of cybersecurity because at the end of the day, they need to pay. And if they want to pay, they need to pay. They are forcing the OEMs to take action and reduce the cybersecurity risk because insurance company will require from you to install a lock on your door at your home so they will insure you. So the same goes with OEMs. But the major factor here is regulation. So if you have a new vehicle, you want certification, you need to pass through the uh, regulation and local legislation so you get um, to have your vehicle running on the road. Otherwise, it won't work. So this is the main uh, drive. Got it. So you're saying that, you know, Ethernet is going to, Ethernet, not only Ethernet, many other technologies like automated driving, connected vehicles, and so on, and then move from canvas to Ethernet, it's going to make it more complex, hence more possibilities. At the same time, you also talked about, you know, what are the interests of different stakeholders from insurance to OEMs? What are the interests? Why they want to inject more stringent uh, cybersecurity in the vehicle? Let's take a moment here. So my question to the audience, whoever listening or viewing this episode, what do you think of the advantage uh, of Ethernet? Please write in the comment section below. And what do you think is going to be the most vulnerable thing or disadvantage thing of Ethernet? Please write in the comment section below. And if you are getting value from this episode, please, please smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, and also hit the bell button so, so that you get notified. And keep enjoying this episode. We're going to also talk about how to solve this. What are the solutions we have? And Gilad is going to talk about much more exciting stuff. So stay with us. So Gilad, I'm coming back to it. So what is the solution for this in your opinion? And also tell us a little bit about the kind of approach Arilo is taking to tackle all these various issues that we talked about. There is no one cure for all the diseases. There is no one... A silver bullet that you can use and everything will work. Furthermore, there isn't only one approach which is a correct approach and the only approach which will prove to be correct. Furthermore, we don't have history that will show what worked and what did not work. So after all those uh, waivers and uh, I would say the following, uh, the right thing is to take a secure by design approach 
and build a defense in depth system in which even if any system can be breached, any defense line can be breached, given that you have the enough resources and enough motivation, this will happen. So you need to take an approach uh, that has a few layers of security. It starts from software development. So we need to follow the standards and best practices of software development. Once we used to speak about SDLC, software development lifecycle, today we speak about SSDLC, we stand for secured software development lifecycle. So we need to take into account security from the software design. Once you have a software ready, you need to harden it. So you need to make sure that the operating system is hardened. You don't left, leave any backdoors and you need to check yourself. So you check yourself with penetration testing and you make sure that the software is, the software and the system is, is hardened and it's not penetrable as a unit. If you look at the whole system, you need to take a TARA, TARA threat assessment risk analysis uh, process in which the whole system is being analyzed to determine what are the threats, what are the attack scenarios, what are the attack surfaces, and what plan for risk minimization you should take. Now, evidently, you cannot do everything, and there is a limit to budget. So you need, as a professional, to take and weight the right measures that will give you maximum security for minimum investment. Um, as an approach, we see two approaches, one of them from some OEM that only want to pass the certification and don't really care about cybersecurity. Give me the minimum so the regulator will do a check mark and I'll be okay to sell my vehicle. Uh, from the other side, we see more uh, mature and uh, responsible OEMs that not only want to pass the certification, but also um, provide real security to the customers. Customers expect security as part of the vehicle. They don't expect to pay extra for cyber security. Uh, as you don't pay extra to have a safety system or safety brakes. So uh, security is part of the, of the system. Keep in mind that the only reason that we do security is not for itself. So security is not a, a target. It's just a mean to achieve safety, reliability, and privacy. So keep in mind that security is not a target. Security is a way in which you can provide your customers the expected safety of the vehicle, the expected reliability of the vehicle, and the expected privacy when they use the vehicle. So this is the way that you can explain yourself why you invest and what is the return on investment on cybersecurity. So going further to how we protect, uh, next we need to design the network in such a way that it will have the right security means, segregation of uh, segments and right design so it will work in a proper fashion. All the connected devices, which is the TPMS and the key fobs and the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and cellular interfaces, and we can speak separately about the fifth generation 5G of the cellular and its impact on the vehicle, on its cybersecurity, all those need to be protected. So we need to protect the traffic which is incoming into the vehicle and traffic which is outgoing from the vehicle because you can attack from the vehicle the cloud. And you need to protect the internal network. 
any attack will go through the network. There is no way to do an attack that does not propagate um, on the network. So the network is the best indicator um, for what happens in the vehicle. Yes, you need the host IDS. Yes, you need the endpoint uh, um, response and defense, the EDR, which is protecting the individual EC uh, ECUs. But the main thing that you need is to protect in the gateway because there you can see everything. All the traffic goes through the gateway. All the attacks go through the gateway. So you need to put in the gateway a good firewall which will prevent the basic things and an intrusion detection and intrusion prevention, intrusion prevention if needed, but at least an intrusion detection system which will detect um, at attacks. And those need to be conveyed and communicated to the security information system, SIM, at the VSOC, which is the Vehicle Security Operating Center, for further analysis, uh, forensics, and decision how to uh, mitigate this uh, new attack. Love it. So without, without really going uh, really technical with that, is it fair to summarize that you need to protect the gateway, so you need to have firewall? This is one protection that is that is absolutely necessary. The second one is you have to be able to detect when you're an under attack, so your intrusion detection system. And the third is intrusion prevention. You gotta also actively prevent intrusion. All these things, if you are, if you put it in a framework like ISO 21434, like you mentioned, the standardized steps and you do your TARA, we can not come up with a 100% secured vehicle, but we can come up with maximum security with minimal investment. Is that a fair way to put it? You don't need to have a 100% protection. There is no 100% protection. There is no such thing. Uh, I say that I don't need the best lock on my uh, key, on my door. I need it just to beat a bit, uh, a bit better than my neighbors. So the thief will go to, to another place, not to, not to me. So you need to have a bit better than uh, any other. You don't need to run um, faster than the fastest line. You need to run faster than the slowest zebra. This is a balance. Regarding intrusion prevention, intrusion prevention is a sensitive item because if you look at the OEMs, OEMs are very conservative and they are interested in protecting the fleet. So the approach which is uh, led by OEMs is detect and response. So nothing happens in the vehicle. You don't even notify the, the driver about any ongoing cyber attack because he can do nothing about it. And you just inform the uh, fleet management, the SOC uh, in the center. The SOC performs some forensics, look at the information. It might be a false positive and you just don't want to steal some panic for no reason, and then you react. So from the OEM perspective, it's important to protect the fleet, not the individual vehicle. Uh, in addition, OEMs are afraid that um, an intrusion prevention system might have its own bug, and it might drop by mistake a crucial message. So you might have the ADAS sending a message to the braking system to break, but for some reason, the IPS would think that this is an attack and will drop this message and then actually cause an accident. Um, so 
there are some conservative approaches to this. This we saw also in the IT industry in the beginning and in the industrial control system uh, today. So the, the false positive issue. The false positive is the issue. However, the regulator is interested in protecting the individual vehicle. So the demand is that you should prevent attacks in real time. So it should be an in prevention of attacks, uh, active dropping, stopping. Um, so this is a bit of a clash between the regulator and the OEMs, uh, each one with their own um, reasoning. Just to be clear for the audience, what is again the clash? So the regulators, they want to protect the vehicle and the OEMs, where, where is the clash again? So the clash is that the OEMs are interested in protecting the fleet. Mm -hmm. If you protect the fleet, you do not need to protect the individual vehicle. If I take it to the extreme, and I'm not saying this is this is exactly the, in, in those words, so don't quote me exactly, but in terms of the OEM, if one vehicle crashes because of a cyber attack, so be it. But we need to protect the entire fleet. So, what is the motivation of the what is the motivation of the OEM? Why do they want to protect the fleet versus individual vehicles? Because of their interests. Those are different interests. The regulator is from the people, by the people, for the people, is the people. The regulator is motivated by protecting individuals, by protecting the human beings, and each human being being counts. You could see this in the exchange of drafts in the UNEC WP29, which emerged to be UNR155, in which you could see that the regulator is writing something and the OEMs come with another wording. And the wording that the regulator requested was um, detect and response, which does not mean active. They don't want false positives. They don't want to have exit. They think that the chance of a accident to happen due to a false positive is higher than the risk of a, a real cyber attack. So they consider that the damage that can be caused by cyber attack is smaller than damage by false positives, because false positives something that you with your own hands installed in the vehicle and human beings wrote it and it might have bugs. Uh, while a cyber attack is a risk, it's not something that you actively do. It's something uh, which happens. And it's not interior to your vehicle. It's something which happens from the outside. So they consider um, that the chances that a cyber attack will occur and will cause damage, and that damage will be uh, higher than those damage, potential damages that can be caused by uh, the intrusion prevention itself um, are slimmer. So they prefer to take the risk. Uh, the regulator does not want to take the risk because that means you take the risk on lives of people and um, would like to have a very active and preventive approach in the, in the vehicle. Currently, the depending on the country and it's still emerging, um, but it seems that the regulator had the upper hand and active uh, prevention is required in the vehicle. So for everything, there is a way to go around it. For example, you could have active pro prevention on the uh, network layers. 
for example, the Ethernet IP TCP UDP, this would be a firewall and it would be an active firewall. But for the more complex things which require deep packet inspection, deep content inspection, a stateful inspection, be sensitive to the vehicle context, looking at signature attacks, things which are much more complex, those would be only reported and analyzed by the OEM. So this is a balanced approach in which part of the protection is active as the regulator is aiming, and part of the protection is passive as the OEMs are wishing. And this way you create a case in which, yes, you have active protection, but it's limited to things which are very, very deterministic. Um, and the chances of a false positive there are very, 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 very small. Active protection is then the name of the game. With that, I want to go back where we started. Like, you know, when you were 15, you had this mainframe hack and the word vulnerability was not even, you know, we don't know if it existed, at least it was not as prevalent. We didn't know about viruses and we knew nothing. Now, if, if you have to give advice or talk to a 15 years old today, life is so different. They have access to so much of technology, right? And it all comes back to what we are talking about, you know, how easy it is to hack into a vehicle. Like in our cybersecurity training, uh, we, we show how easy it is to how hack into a vehicle, especially the ones from 2012, you know, in the street, they're like no protection at all. Reminds me of when I was studying computer science in late 90s, early 2000, we had this Windows Messenger that we could sniff in in the network. There was no protection back then. The same scenario has been repeated in a different way. CAN is absolutely unencrypted in some of the vehicles. I mean, anybody can hack into it. So what would be your thoughts on that? What is easily doable for anyone today? And, uh, you know, how should we take this, the whole changes that's coming, you know, if you were 15 years old today, how would you take this? How would you go about it? I would say, first of all, walk, because you are 15, and at 15, you don't need to drive and you don't need to care about uh, vehicles. Uh, better exercise. Uh, in terms of the approaches and how they should approach it's so complex. So let's take a bit to the encryption and then I'll go back to the original question. We have in CanBasSec OC and we have in Ethernet MacSec and we have SSL and we have TLS and DTLS and we have all those encryption mechanisms. Uh, V2X has the authentication and the uh, signature or uh, Mac attached to, to the messages. So let's say that it's, authenticated. But this does not answer the question what happens if the other side was compromised. So we have a very, very secure channel, encrypted, protected, authenticated, anti-temper, its freshness is guaranteed. You have, let's say, a platoon of 100 trucks that communicate via V2X. And all of them are authenticated. And you have a, a certificate and everything is fine. But the first vehicle, the software was compromised. And the software now sends a message that there is a uh, blockage in the road. And this message is being propagated and distributed and conveyed to everyone in the platoon. And now we have 100 vehicles stopped in the middle of the road. 
because the first vehicle was compromised. And it's not that the channel is not secure. The channel is 100% secure. And the vehicle, yes, it's the first vehicle. It's not another vehicle. It's the first vehicle. But you didn't protect the, the software. You protected only the channel. So in those cases, you need to look for misbehaviors. And you need to do complex things like um, sensor fusion. And you need to understand that you have a so many sources of information. So if I would go to that guy and try to teach them and guide them where to go, go into the more complex signal processing in which you take multiple sources of information. You have your own sensors in the vehicle. You have external sources from the V2X, from other vehicles, from the roadside units, from pedestrians, from the grid, from the cloud. And the only place where you can take responsibilities in the vehicle and you need to be able to take all those sources of information and run the algorithm and run a very fast algorithm because you don't have time there. And you need to decide that this source of information is a malfunction and this is a misbehavior and it's not plausible. And you should take it away and disregard it and making such a decision to disregard a, a message of a road blockage is a very hard decision to make. And it has a lot of impact. And it might end up in an accident because it might be right. And here we come with the dilemma of the OEMs. They have the dilemma. Do I take active action? This is an intrusion prevention. And in this intrusion prevention, I decided to disregard a block in the road and decided that there is no block there. And I decided to continue driving. And I made a mistake uh, and caused an accident. So there are many complex things there. Just to take one step ahead regarding automated driving, there is a very good question. You got the vehicle in a situation that you have a 100% accident. So now there is no question whether there is an accident. Now you need to decide whether you take the car to the right, to the center, or to the left. On the right-hand side, you have a young girl. In the middle, you have a lady. And on the right, you have an old lady. Now you need to pick. The trolley paradox. Yeah, a very good decision here. So mm -hmm. the, the right answer from my perspective, you take the road that is best protecting the passengers of the vehicle. This is how the algorithm should work in my view. You protect the passengers, not the environment. I am fascinated by the fact that you have an answer. I haven't actually heard anyone being able to answer this question. I think the, the discussion is so exciting that we could go on and on and on. And I would love to have you one more time, maybe multiple times as a guest in my show. So uh, for the interest of time, we have to wrap things up. Gilad, it was super interesting having you. I'm sure the audience is going to love it. So to, to our audience, if you even have question to Gilad directly, please write it in the comment section. We will be in touch and he will be answering. Please also tell us if Gilad comes back to our uh, show one more time, what are the topics that you would like to hear? We will adjust accordingly and please smash the like button, share this video, subscribe to the channel and hit the notification bell. This would mean a lot to us. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you in the next episode. Gilad, it was wonderful having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching our video. 
please click the link below to schedule a free consulting call with us if you need any help regarding the topic of the video. One of our staffs will get in touch with you and would be happy to schedule a free consulting call with you and happy to help you in any of these topics. Please click the link below now and we'll see you in the call. Thank you.